I try not to get up to get up here too early. You really don't want to hear me singing out over the microphone. <laughs> Please join me in prayer. My Lord and Savior, my God, answer my plea, for you are faithful to your promises. I would pray that you would flood us with the light of understanding so that we can each grasp the significance of your message and see it with clarity. Give us a diligent and obedient spirit and the powerful assistance of your holy grace so that what we may hear or learn, we may apply to your honor and the eternal salvation of our souls. Amen. All right, our reading today is from Leviticus 19, uh, 33 and 34. That'll be on page 125 in your pew Bibles. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thank you, Terry. It was 1995. My college group had been invited to help lead worship at a prison. I can be honest with you, I was a little anxious and nervous. I'd never been to prison before. Uh, but I thought, boy, you know, the Apostle Paul uh, spent a lot of time in prison. So you could say he had a prison ministry of sorts. And, and, of course, Jesus in Matthew 25 tells us and invites us to visit prisoners. And so I thought, here's a great biblical opportunity to uh, share the word of God with prisoners. Now, just a real quick aside here. We have some wonderful prison ministries here locally. Uh, Kairos, if you're not familiar with that, it's very similar to Presbyterian Curcio. It's a three-day uh, weekend course in Christianity. And uh, we've got that here uh, locally. So you can get online and look up Kairos Prison Ministry and find out ways you can get involved with a three-day weekend to help minister to prisoners uh, through a course of Christianity, uh, a focus on grace. And then also there's a new prison ministry I've learned about. Uh, we actually have one of the largest tap chapters in the state of Texas called Bridges to Life. Uh, Bridges to Life. And you can, again, get online and look up Bridges to Life. These are great prison ministries that we have locally. And, and if you've never been involved with the prison ministry, it is, is amazing. Uh, you'll be able to bless these prisoners, but more amazingly is you'll be overwhelmed by God's grace as they are receptive to grace in a way you'll probably never could imagine. Well, that's just a quick aside back to my story. I, I was in college and we were excited to help lead this uh, ministry and our little college group that was going to lead worship at this prison, there were four men and six women. And at the time, I really didn't think about much about the ratios we drove in the church van to the prison. But when we walked inside the prison, I saw these really large, burly prisoners. Look at our girls with looks that, that made it clear they had not seen a woman in a very long time. And I was beginning to think, maybe we should have left the women at home. But uh, I was getting a little anxious. And then we finally got into the room where the worship was going to be held. And this really large man with the tattoos all over his face, kind of like Mike Tyson has now, if you've ever seen that. He's got this big tattoo. Comes running up to me. And just instinctively, because I wasn't ready for that, I kind of backed away. And he grabbed my hand and pulled me in and said, welcome, brother. And I said, uh, thanks, brother. <laughs> I have to be honest with you, I felt a little awkward hugging or actually more accurately being hugged by a big burly man in prison. So I, I wasn't ready for that. Uh, I wasn't ready for, ready for a lot of things that I saw that day. I wasn't ready for the amazing worship that we experienced that afternoon. The passion and the love that these men expressed for the Lord and the, was overwhelming to me personally. 
The worship service was two hours long, and I wasn't even tired when we finished. I could have kept going. As it was filled with amens and hallelujahs and a lot of clapping, there was just a great excitement in that room that day. It was clear that these men had been forgiven much, and so they loved God very, very much. In fact, as I talked to some of these prisoners uh, after the service and got to know them a little bit better, and they began to share God's word with me, I could tell they had spent hours and hours reading and studying and meditating on God's word, that really these men knew the Lord better than I did. You know, you can't judge a book by its cover, can you? If Jesus was walking around here on this earth today, where do you think Jesus would hang out? Do you think Jesus would hang out with us inside this beautiful church building? I bet he would spend some time with us, but I bet he would spend the most of his time out there ministering to those who are very far from God. In fact, as we look at our New New Testament text this morning, we can see that Jesus has spent most of his time reaching out to the lost, reaching out to those who are very far from God. And if we want to know today how we can reach out to the lost, to minister and share the gospel, the gospel of Christ with those who are very far from God, then we need to look at God's word and specifically the gospel of Luke chapter 5, where we hear how Jesus was able to minister to the lost and how a man named Matthew did all that he could to bring his friends to Jesus. Please turn in your pew Bibles to the gospel of Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. It may be found on page 1095 of your pew Bible. Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. Listen to the word of the Lord. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as you pray. Holy Spirit, please speak through me. The words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray, and all God's people said, amen. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, everything, he rose and followed him. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says two simple words, follow me. And Levi, or Matthew, leaves everything to follow Jesus. Now, Matthew is a tax collector. Matthew has a really good job that pays really, really well. Tax collectors in the first century were known for being quite wealthy because they worked for the Roman government. And when they would charge taxes, they would often charge a little more than was actually required so they could take a little off the top. Matthew had a cush government job. Why would Matthew leave everything to follow Jesus? 
I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Matthew is happy. He's content. He's, he's in the tax booth. He's making money. He's got all that he needs. Why would Matthew leave everything to follow Jesus? Well, even Matthew, even though Matthew was rich and had all the money he could possibly want, Matthew wasn't truly content. He knew that there was a hole in his heart that could only be filled by God. French philosopher, mathematician, and Christian physicist Blaise Pascal once wrote that there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus. Matthew had lived with this God-shaped vacuum or hole in his heart for most of his life. Sure, Matthew had money, but he didn't have any peace. He didn't have any shalom. In fact, as a tax collector... Um, in the first century, Galilee, Matthew didn't have many friends at all. He didn't have any peace. He didn't have any friends because most people despised tax collectors. Nobody liked a tax collector in the first century. Tax collectors were viewed as lying thieves who were known to keep much of the money that they collected in taxes. They weren't even allowed in the synagogue, and they could never stand in, as a witness in a trial because no one would believe what a tax collector had to say. Tax collectors were liars and thieves who worked for the Roman invaders. Most Jews viewed tax collectors in the first century as human parasites who sucked the money out of their hands. With a tax rate between 30 and 40% in the first century Roman Empire, no one wanted to see a tax collector. Yes, Matthew left everything. Left all his money, left his job, his profession, because really, without God, he had nothing. What's really remarkable about this story, though, is not that Matthew left everything, but that Jesus would even invite Matthew to come and follow him. I mean, what shocked everyone that day was that Jesus went by the tax booth, and he looks at Matthew, and he says, come and and follow me. I mean, Matthew's movement, if you read the Gospel of Luke, has just gotten started. He's recently called uh, James and John and Andrew and Peter to, to come and follow him. He's going to make them fishers of men. And, and he's done a few miracles. You know, he's, he's healed a leper, which was incredible. He's allowed a, a paralytic to walk. There's been some amazing things that Jesus has done. The movement is just getting started. And now he goes to a tax booth and calls a tax collector. If you want to kill a religious movement in the first century, invite a tax collector, right? I mean, no one would want to be a part of that kind of movement. Jim Collins, in his uh, pr- professor of Stanford's, uh, a professor at Stanford's Graduate School of Business, former professor of Graduate School of Business, t- says in his best-selling book, Good to Great, the great leaders always make sure the right people are on the bus. If you want to move your company from good to great, you've got to get the right people on the bus. Specifically, he says, the who question comes before the what questions, before vision, before strategy, before tactics, before organizational structure, before technology. If you don't have the right people on the bus, according to Jim Collins, you'll never go from good to get great. You've got to make sure you've got the right people. The who question has to be answered before the strategy question or anything else. Clearly, Jesus was not familiar with Jim Collins' writings on good to great. He was breaking all conventional wisdom when it comes to good business strategies. He was not getting one of the the best of the best. He was getting a tax collector, one of the worst sinners in first century Palestine. If you want to start a religious movement in the first century, you wouldn't call a tax collector to help lead it, would you? Or maybe you would. I mean, after all, the movement of Jesus is all about grace 
isn't it? And grace is God's unmerited favor towards us. By inviting Matthew, a tax collector, to come and follow him, Jesus is letting everyone know that anyone, even the social outcast, who is viewed to be immoral, is welcome to follow him, to be a a part of his movement of grace. That's why Jesus says in verse 32 of our text this morning, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus didn't come to judge the lost but to engage them, to love them, and to invite them to join him on a journey. What are we doing today to engage the lost, to love them, to invite them to join us on our journey with Jesus today? Do we stand in judgment of those who act immorally today? like the Pharisees did? Or do we invite them to experience God's grace and to join us on our journey with Jesus today? If Jesus was walking on this earth today, would he spend most of his time hanging out with us here in the church? Or would he be out there hanging out with people who are very far from God? According to our text this morning, he would most likely be out there hanging out with sinners, building relationships, When Matthew decides to follow Jesus, the first thing Matthew does is he has a party so that he can invite his fellow tax-collecting friends. The only friends that he had on this earth were tax collectors and sinners. He invites them to come and and meet Jesus. Because Matthew knows that his friends have the same hole in their heart that can only be filled by God. And he knows that if they meet Jesus, well, then they'll see that Jesus loves them just as Jesus has loved him. The invitation that Jesus gave to Matthew to come and follow me is, is really an invitation to join Jesus in a life-transforming kingdom of God adventure. And Jesus has invited all of us to, to join him in this adventure of helping expand the, the kingdom of God. But for some reason, we're often hesitant to invite others to join us on the journey as well. Many of us are afraid that we might be rejected if we invite our friends to meet Jesus. But Matthew wasn't afraid, was he? Because he knew that if his friends could just meet Jesus, they could experience the love of God that only comes through Jesus, and their lives would be forever changed as well. The main reason people were so drawn to Jesus in the first century, the main reason that people were willing to leave everything, like Peter and James and John and Andrew and Matthew left everything to follow Jesus, is because they knew that Jesus loved them. And like Matthew... We, as followers of Christ, have experienced the love of Jesus firsthand. So why are we often so hesitant to to invite others to come and meet Jesus as well, to introduce our friends to Jesus? Yeah, but we live in Amarillo, right? I mean, everybody's heard of Jesus, right? Well, we do live in Amarillo, which is part of the buckle, buckle of the Bible belt. And yes, everyone in Amarillo has probably heard of Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus, do they? I mean, if everyone in Amarillo really knew Jesus, we wouldn't have armed robberies, we wouldn't have domestic violence, bullying in our schools, drugs in our high schools, the homeless begging on almost every street, major intersection, gentlemen's clubs on I-40, a poverty rate of 22%. No, if everyone in Amarillo really knew Jesus, our community would look very different, wouldn't it? Of course, the good news is that many of us do know Jesus. We've encountered Jesus. 
Yes, we do know Jesus, and our lives reflect an intimate relationship with Jesus. When the four downtown churches collaborate on a vacation Bible school in the middle of July in the heat of the summer at San Jacinto and at Margaret Wills Elementary School schools this past summer and have a combined school supply, school supply drive in August to help uh, provide school supplies for four of our poorest elementary schools in town, we do it because we all know Jesus. By the way, tonight, be sure and be here. Be at Central Church of Christ at 6 o'clock to help join us in a wonderful community-wide celebration to bear witness to the love of Jesus. That together, that we are better together as churches for the body of Christ. Whenever, when every elementary school in our community is involved with the Snack Pack for Kids program, is, is being sponsored by sc- uh, churches to help uh, provide uh, food to non-perishable food items to needy children in our schools, we do that. Because we know Jesus. When members of our own congregation get involved with the Friend Neighbor Program at San Jacinto Elementary and help volunteer their time to help needy families navigate through the social welfare programs of Amarillo, we do it because we know Jesus. Yes, many in our church and many in our community know Jesus. But the question is, what are we doing as individuals to help invite our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates to meet Jesus today. Matthew held a party. Matthew uses his home and his resources to bring the message of Jesus to to his friends. What are we going to do today? Bill Hybels, in his best-selling book, Just Walk Across the Room, talks about how he hosts Matthew parties every uh, every, uh, year. Bill intentionally has several neighbors over for a party where he only has a few of his church members attend. Bill prays for this party And then he lets his non-Christian neighbors naturally meet and mingle with just a few of his church members at the party. It's been amazing in Bill's experience how God has used these informal gatherings, these parties, to help introduce his neighbors to Jesus. Now in Texas, we have an excuse to have a party almost every weekend, don't we? We've got college football on Saturday and the NFL on Sunday. And this year the Cowboys are winning We have many reasons to invite friends to come over, to join us in fellowship, to watch a game, to to share life together, to get to know one another. And as we get to know their story, then we can tell them about our story and how Jesus has made all the difference in our lives. Or maybe, just maybe, we should invite our friends, our, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates to the party that we have every Sunday here in this sanctuary. After all, every Sunday morning we gather together to celebrate the good news of God's love. In effect, we have a party for Jesus in our worship services. When Matthew met Jesus, he couldn't help but have a party to introduce his friends to Jesus. What are we doing to help introduce our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones, our coworkers, our classmates to Jesus today? I know what you may be thinking. I, Yeah, Howard, but I'm not really an evangelist. I don't have that gift. I'm afraid I might say the wrong thing. Well, if you're not an evangelist, well, here's what you can do. You can invite them to meet one. You can bring them here. I actually have the gift of evangelism. I would love to share the good news of Jesus' love with them. Just invite your friends here, and I'll tell them about Jesus and how much God loves them and how we we know God loves us because Jesus was willing to die for us. Of course, the first step in effective evangelism The first step in effectively sharing our faith with another and helping bring someone to Christ is prayer. Before we talk to our friends about Jesus, we've got to talk to God about our friends. 
We've got to take the time we need each and every day to pray for those we know who are far from God. To pray for those that we have met and and mingle with who, who do not yet know Jesus personally. We know from the Bible that conversion is ultimately a work of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to make sure the Holy Spirit is guiding us as we seek to introduce our friends, our loved ones, to Jesus. As we pray for our friends, our coworkers, our classmates, our neighbors who don't know Jesus, we need to ask the Lord to guide us in how we might introduce them to Jesus. After praying for our friends, we need to take time to, to get to know their story, get to know who they are and what they're about and their experience. And as we listen to their story, they're going to ask to hear our story. And then we can tell them, well, we can tell them his story about how God has made a difference in our lives through Jesus Christ. We can tell them how God loves us so much that he sent his only son here to this earth to pay the price for our sins with his death on a cross. And on the third day, he rose again, proving to be victorious over sin and death itself. This is we get to hear their story. They're going to want to know our story And Jesus is such a big part of our story, we can't help but tell them our testimony of how Jesus has made a difference in our lives. And in our postmodern world today, where truth is based on one's experience, no one can deny your personal testimony. That's your story. That's the most effective thing you can do to share your faith with others, to help point people to Jesus, is to tell them about how Jesus has made a difference in your life. In our world today, a lot of people aren't asking the question, what's going to happen to me when I die? That's not a question many people are asking. Most people in our culture today are wondering, does Jesus make a difference? And if you can tell them how Jesus has made a difference in your life, then you've got a story that cannot be denied. Now, if you're still afraid that you may not have the right words to share with someone at work or or maybe in your neighborhood or one of your classmates, well, be sure and invite them here. Because if they come here, they're going to hear about Jesus. Tom Rayner, a church statistician and demographer, found out a few years ago that 82%, 82% of unchurched people said they would come to church if they were invited by a good friend. 82% of unchurched people said they would come to church if they were invited by a good friend. According to this statistic, most unchurched people will come to church if asked, but the problem is, People aren't inviting their friends, their unchurched friends, to church. Why aren't we? What are we afraid of? You know, Christmas season is a wonderful time to invite a friend to join us in the celebration, to join us at our parties that we have for Jesus each Sunday. We have lessons and carols coming up on December 7th where the choir will be up here and the handbells and the children's choir and the music will be spectacular and you can invite a friend to that and say, hey, my church is doing a special music, uh, music presentation. You won't want to miss that. What a great time of worship to, enjoy, to invite them to join us. Or downstairs, the very next Sunday, December 14th, the 1105 band is going to do some special Christmas music. And you can invite them to be a part of that celebration. Or, of course, on Christmas Eve, we've got three services. We've got a 4 o'clock, which is a little more uh, casual service with contemporary music. Then we've got an 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock candlelight services here in our sanctuary. Beautiful worship services that bring glory and honor to God that allow us to experience God's presence together. The truth is that while the holidays are often joyful times for many of us, they can also be very lonely times for others. It shouldn't be that way. Who might you invite to join you? To join us this Christmas season as we celebrate the gift of God's love. 
That God loved us so much that he, he sent his one and only son to be born as a baby in a lowly manger who grew up among us, who taught us, who healed us, and ultimately died for us so that we could be reconciled to God once and for all. Matthew left everything to follow Jesus because Matthew knew that only Jesus could fill the God-sized hole that was in his heart. Matthew then invited his tax-collecting friends to meet Jesus because Matthew knew, as we all know, that everyone has a God-sized hole in their heart that only Jesus can fill. Over the next week, let's all commit to pray for those we know who are far from Jesus. Let's commit to pray for our friends and our coworkers and our classmates and our neighbors, anyone that we know who doesn't have a church home, anyone we know who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. May we pray that God might move in their lives in a mighty way and that God might use us to be an instrument of His grace, that God might embolden us to invite them to join us in the party that we're having with Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Jesus loves a good party. And we're going to have some great parties here on Sunday morning. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks that you're a God who invites all to come and follow you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that while you were here on this earth, you helped us see that your message is all about grace, your unmerited favor towards us. That you would even call a tax collector like Matthew, someone who was a social outcast, someone who was known as immoral, a liar, a thief. Yet you loved him anyway. And that's good news for all of us here today. To know that you love us anyway. Despite what we've done. Despite what we've said. So God, I pray that you might embolden us to invite others to come and experience your grace here in this place. That we might become creative and having parties or social gatherings where we might interact with those who do not yet know you so that we might point people to you. God, we thank you that you're a God who invites all to come and follow you. Help us to share that invitation with others this Christmas season. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people say, amen.